Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. My name is Manuel Veth and as pretty much always, I'm joined by Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, I'm going very well. Uh, another great weekend of German football. I know I say that every time I'm on, but it really was a great weekend of German football. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting sinking my teeth into it. I'm really looking forward to it too, because I am getting to do it from Germany, which has been a long time, um, 19 months from not being able to go home because of COVID and all that kind of stuff. So it was a bit of an odyssey to get here, uh, had to get a negative COVID test and had all the paperwork and everything done and locked it all into the pre-flight. And then when I arrived in Germany, Stefan, um, the border guard just asked, are you vaccinated? And I was ready to put all, all my documents and he just waved me through. So uh, I guess welcome back to Germany. And um, I, I did get to go to the Bayern game on Saturday and uh, they did accept my Canadian vaccination record. I was quite pleased with that as well because like, you need to scan a QR code here, which I have, but it's a Canadian one. And uh, of mm -hmm. course, it didn't read. But uh, it does help to speak the language. I was able to argue my, my way into the Allianz Arena and into the media zone. And I have to, I'm very sad to report the buffet is gone. You just get a lunch pack that you get to put onto, you take with you to your media seat. But oh well. Um, the game itself was worth it. I saw, I calculated this, I saw 87.5% of all goal, goals that were scored at the 3.30 kickoff. What do you think of that, Stefan? That's that's incredible. I mean, I'd like to also point out to listeners that you're were, you were texting uh, myself, Chris, and... Uh, <laughs> oh my God, I was just laughing myself and Bryce about uh, as, how your day was going. And I just remembered at one point, I think I was working, I got your text came through saying, oh, the buffet shot. I said, oh, my God, I'm in a very different situation from him right now where I'm sitting trying to work and you're getting upset about a buffet going missing. But uh, you could have picked a better game to come back. It was as if Bayern Munich just decided that they were going to put on a show for you because and it, as far as I could tell, Bochum were more than happy to go along with it because... I don't think you'll ever see a more one-sided game of football in the Bundesliga this season. And I know I think we're probably going to go on to talk about, you know, what kind of ramifications that has for the league and, you know, people use results like this to kind of bash the Bundesliga. But um, I honestly thought Bochum were just as bad as Bayern were brilliant. I mean, you could, <laughs> there are obviously kind of circumstances where you think, okay, great, this, this is Bayern at top level. When a Leroy Sani free kick, for example, goes into the top corner, you're, you're obviously thinking, right, they're, they're obviously all, they're up for it today. Um, but as good as Bayern were, it just kind of felt like every single pass that Bochum made, even into their own net at one point, just before half time, you know, I just thought, I don't, I, I, I just, Bayern Munich didn't have to get a first gear at all. And it was just a complete, it was like a training match. Um, yeah. And, you know, I feel sorry for Bochum. It's the first, I think it's maybe the first full 90 minutes I've watched them this season, and it's probably not a fair representation of them, but 
they did not look Bundesliga standard at all. And I think when I was looking through some of the gym, through some of the German press, actually, they were there was some some columnists making that argument possibly, but I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I I I I, I did wonder about that. Like um, Thomas Rice, I went to the press conference after right as well, and. Uh, socially distanced press conference, very well organized in in, in the big amphitheater inside the Allianz Arena, where every third, every only every fourth seat was allowed to be occupied. And uh, Thomas Rice and Julian Nagelsmann, this is one of my first in-person press conferences I've been to since COVID started, because in in most leagues they they reassume right. And I do like the fact it was in person because you get the emotional responses from the coaches much better than you do, we assume, right? It just seems all filtered. And I thought it was really interesting how deflated Thomas Rice was after the game and uh, how apologetic um, he was towards his own fans because there was a huge traveling support that came with, with this Bochum team, right? They were all in that top corner in the very top of the Allianz Arena. And um, they were very loud and I thought the support was actually excellent, but he was very apologetic because this was Bochum's largest defeat in the Bundesliga. It was only one goal shy of the result that uh, Schalke received last season. And it I actually thought there was quite a lot of parallels to that game, Bayern against Schalke, right? Um, a lot of talk was made about after that uh, result against Schalke as well, how big the discrepancy between Bayern and some of the other teams are in the Bundesliga. But some of the teams that just don't don't have the quality, and I, I actually think that Bochum don't have Bundesliga quality. I uh, Thomas Reis said it after the game. He said that that was more than one class difference between those two teams, and I, I actually agree. It seems like they're almost like an accidental promoted side. Like some of the players you see there, they they're just not on a Bundesliga level, and some of you know Gavola for example going forward just too slow they were trying to play a counter counter foot style of football but they just don't have the players to to spring forward and uh, defensively they were in shambles i mean without Manuel Riemann in goal it would have probably been 10 or 11 or 12 and i just don't think that they have the quality at the moment and i mean there's a that's maybe a different discussion is like Teams like Bochum coming into the league, we, we seem to be getting this more and more, right? That you see these these teams accidentally promoted from the Bundesliga and just not having the quality to survive in the league. Kreuter Fürth is another example. I'm seeing Kreuter Fürth on Friday against Bayern. I'm expecting a very similar result because I think some of these teams are just not Bundesliga level. And that actually begs another question is, we have so many blue chips clubs in, in the second division, right? Hamburg, Bremen, Hannover. Um, then we have blue chip clubs even in the third league with Kaiserslautern in 1860 and that have so much more potential and so much more power to properly survive in this league. And that begs the question, is is this like a structural problem almost in German football? What do you think, Stefan? You, you basically took the words out of my mouth that actually I was going to make the suggestion that this is obviously a kind of a natural almost balancing of the scales because of how many small, how many bigger clubs have been relegated in recent seasons. And it just seems to me that this is kind of the natural consequence of that. And, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Schalke, Hamburg, Werder Bremen, etc., these clubs should be in the Bundesliga taking up spaces where the likes of Bochum and Greuther Firth um, have since been promoted. And that's not really to take away anything from these clubs that have got promoted. They've been promoted obviously off the back of their own success, off the back of 
what they've done on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, but a large part of it is also down to just how bad a lot of these kind of huge clubs have been. I mean, Schalke were absolutely hopeless last season. And, you know, if it comes to obviously, I mean, I know there's some examples of maybe like playoff situations where the big clubs prove that they deserve to stay in the league. But it is possibly a concern for the Bundesliga. I mean, I don't want to sit here and suggest that Bochum being in the Bundesliga is bad for the Bundesliga because I don't think it is. Um, and, you know, if you look at Serie A or the Spanish uh, top division, they also have smaller clubs that people who don't pay attention to the league maybe that aren't aware of. And sometimes they get battered by the bigger clubs. So it's kind of a natural way of things. I think the only issue is that when we compare the Bundesliga to the Premier League, which is just something that's constantly happening, and it's not just something yeah. that, like, it's not just something that people like you and I do. It's something that the leagues and the, the, the clubs themselves do. I was actually speaking to a chief executive of one of the Bundesliga clubs last week, and he went straight on to comparisons to the Premier League. So it's something that the league and its clubs are constantly talking about. Um, but having these, because the Premier League has so much money from bottom to top, you don't often see this much of a disparity between even maybe like a, a newly promoted side uh, and a team who are obviously been winning the championship for some time now. You do from occasion, you do, you certainly do. But City do it all the time, right? Yeah, I mean, true. City do results like that against even some of the bigger clubs. So it does happen there as well. It does, yeah, you're right. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't think it's a huge issue. Uh, I just, I also just don't think it's a fair example to use to bash the league because I just think, you know, Bayern away is just a result that both of them are probably always going to lose. And it's a, it's a result they're always going to lose probably quite heavily. So, you know, I think they'll move on from it. I don't think Bayern will actually take a huge event from this game because it was so easy. Um, mm. And then maybe we all just have to accept that and move on rather than worrying about what it means to the league. I think it was actually the second easiest game this last week because I watched a game against Barcelona and I've never seen a more one-sided 3-0 than that one. And there was a, there was a scene, I think, when um, I remember which Barcelona, it was Alba who came off and he was just absolutely destroyed. Like, he was sitting on the bench like, and just he looked like he was going to throw up, right? And I, that, this, I think this is what we have to remember. Bayern Munich, you don't do just, just do this to the likes of Bochum. I mean, they did exactly the same thing against Barcelona. And there was one point where I thought we're going to see another A2. So, you know, Bochum are in good company. Um, I do think there is something to the debate of how clubs in Germany are run. And I know I, you tweeted something really great about, uh, I think the league is very much aware of it and they're, they're fighting essentially UEFA and FFP to be way more strict. And I, I think this needs, it, I personally think that needs to happen because the, U, the Bundesliga is probably the league that benefits the most from a more strict salary cap. Because when you look at the expenditures of the average expenditure on salary for Bundesliga teams is something like 56%, right? 56% of the income is going to player salary, which is the lowest in, in all of the top leagues in Europe. Uh, Premier League is somewhere at 64%, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it actually is. So it's it's an interesting one. Um, I do also think, and this is another one, to go back to big clubs and the way they run, Bayern Munich are a membership club, right? But they are one of the few membership clubs where politics is very much 
left behind like well the, the politics of the club the internal politics of the club are not influenced by the by the members as much as it is in the other clubs schalke is a great example hamburg is a great example so these big membership clubs um as great as it is it is for german teams to be big membership clubs at the same time those members demand a lot of control of the teams that they are members of and if you have these large large fractions and all of them want influence you get situations like hamburg you get situations like schalke or bremen and um i think that is maybe another one where you maybe need to talk about the structure without destroying 50 plus one maybe german clubs just need to be restructured and i think that's just another debate for another podcast but i just find it interesting that a lot of these smaller clubs like bochum like Fürth, like bielefeld they managed to get into the bundesliga because they're often better run than some of these larger membership clubs um because politics isn't as big of a thing there but then they don't have the resources to necessarily compete because they're in smaller markets so it's kind of like the balance isn't quite there but yeah it's an interesting one and i think when we talk about large membership clubs stefan we can take this and we can talk right away about another big membership club in German football because they played RB Leipzig, Köln. And I thought that was maybe the best game on the weekend um, because it, it was a battle, right? Köln played really well. Um, a club that I personally feel is always kind of underachieving considering the size of it's 111,000 members now, right? It's fourth largest in Germany. Um, but they really battled Leipzig, and I thought that was maybe the most interesting game of the match day. What did you think? Yeah, it was an absolutely encapsulating game. Uh, I kind of had it on with one eye watching it, and just as the game went on, it was just it, it just was so end to end from both sides. Uh, you know, I thought Leipzig were probably the better team in the first half, uh, and then obviously Cologne got a goal uh, early on in the second half from Modesta and. As is always the case, that stadium, the, the, you know, the, the, the place just seemed to be completely jumping. Um, and obviously, there's the added context to all that. Kona also had a decent start to the season. Avi Leipzig obviously had not. Uh, you know, there's maybe some people going so far as to say this was a kind of must-win game for Jesse Marsh. Um, and whether or not that was the case, you definitely felt there was a huge degree of pressure on Leipzig in this game. They went about the match looking like a team just desperately looking for some hope and they just couldn't get it whether they were hitting shots off the post or two goals disallowed and even though I actually thought they were the better team against Cologne for most of the first period of the game I felt as though Cologne almost gained confidence from the silly that sounds Leipzig's inability to score and their their constant misfortune uh, and obviously Modeste scored and then you know, obviously, after Cologne scored, I thought they actually kind of grew into the match and they were almost the better side. So it was just fantastic going back and forth. And, you know, the last kind of 20 minutes when Leipzig were chasing the equaliser and then a late winner, uh, the drama was just outstanding. Uh, and it was a fantastic, it was a really fantastic kind of, you know, late Saturday game uh, for for viewers to watch as well. And it was a great advert for the Bundesliga as well, I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, I was in the edge of my seat. And I, I thought that, I thought actually that Leipzig, the last, I thought they were, they were going to score a second. They, I think all the things that you want to see from them, you saw late on. And um, at the same time, though, I did think that this one was a must win for Jesse Marsh. 
I think I, we broke it down last week, right, where we said that he's now in going into a run of games because they, they, when you take the first few games in the Bundesliga, they, they pretty much had the same results last year against the same oppositions, but now they're, they're going into a run of games against teams that I personally think they have to beat. Um, I, I, I mean, even going back into midweek, that game against Manchester City, it was just... I have, I'm struggling to see an identity and I think that's what worries me the most when, when you look at this team because... In so many ways, it's almost like they're imprisoned between Nagelsmann's system and what Marsh wants to do. And um, I spent Sunday in, in in Salzburg and I went to Red Bull Salzburg, Marsh's former club, and I spoke to some people there and about Marsh and the difficulties that he's having. And they were saying it wasn't always easy in the beginning with, with him in Salzburg either, which I guess is true. But I don't think... I almost wonder whether he doesn't it's it's so interesting to contrast it to what Nagelsmann has done at Bayern Nagelsmann walked into the dressing room and he hasn't really changed that much he's he's only tweaking it slightly Marsh goes into Leipzig and he changes everything and the players almost seem to be confused by it that this the city game is a great example for it because attacking wise that was Marsh football defensive wise it was some sort of mix between Nagelsmann and Marsh which meant that they were counter-pressing at the wrong time. They were too narrow in defense. And they, there's one goal, that the, the beautiful goal that Jack Grealish scores. Um, yes, this is a beautiful goal, but everyone was ball-watching. Like, you and I could have scored that goal, you know? And um, it's just like, I feel like they're almost imprisoned between what Marsh wants and what Nagelsmann taught them. And it's just leaving this entire group very confused. And... I, I don't know what how you think, what you feel about it, but I just think maybe Marsh wants a little bit too much from this team. Yeah, I think I said to you maybe after the Manchester City game that I was like, it seems as though Marsh just doesn't know what his best start to the living is. And it's almost at times it feels as though he's, I don't know if it's maybe pressure from the club or if it's just pressure from himself to very quickly establish, you know, a very thick border between when Nagel's been left and when he took over because you can kind of tell that from the, you know, the, the, the teams he's been picking. Uh, you know, the way that Andre Silva's came into the team, the way that Shabaslai's came into the team, even like Danny Olmo to an extent, the way that he's very clearly, uh, I think, saying, okay, these are the guys who I'm going to build my attack around. And then guys like Forsberg and Poulsen, um, I mean, I know both have kind of started some games this season, but it, it feels to me whenever I watch Leipzig that it's like, they're almost like the elder statesmen who have just had to accept that they're yesterday's, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of yesterday's heroes. And when things don't go wrong, Marsh is like, he panics and then he just throws both of them on, which is what we saw on Saturday. And we've seen that a few times since he came in. And it's almost like he's having to battle with his own his best intentions because more or less, Marsh could have stepped into this RB Leipzig side and done what Nagelsmann has done at Munich, which is inherit a team that was already quite good. Well, in Bayern's case, obviously very good. But, you know, uh, he could have quite easily inherited an RB Leipzig side that was more or less as it was that he accepted. Now, I know he would have lost two central defenders, and I know he then lost the beat, so, so I understand that. But he's obviously got Samakin, who's a very good centre-back. Orban's still there. So it's not as if he's had to, he's had to revolutionise that defence. And there's absolutely no need for him to revolutionise that attack either. 
um, unless, of course, the club spent a huge amount of money on Andrew Silva. So there's some degree of pressure to play him in every game. So there's, I, I do wonder if this is internal politics of the club because they're saying, look, we spent a lot of money on these attacking players. Uh, we want you to build your team around them. Or if this is Jesse Marsh himself saying, I have to differentiate myself from Julian Nagelsmann straight away. And then I think the overall fascinating thing about this, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying about these upcoming fixtures that they've got. They've got Hertha at home. They've got Club Bruges, the Champions League at home. They've got Bochum at home. And then they go away to Freiburg and then they go away to PSG. I think those are th- before that Freiburg game, I think they've got three very winnable matches. They have to win those games. I think those are must-win games. I think Köln was a must-win game already. Yes, I, I, I would say so too. But then I think I kind of said this on an earlier podcast at the start of the season. I was like, well, Leipzig don't really, well, you know, in many ways, they're not like a traditional Bundesliga club. Uh, that's an understatement. But they also don't have that history and maybe the prestige or the tradition to put expectations on uh, managers because, you know, they've had like three or four managers in the Bundesliga in the entire history and every single one of them's kind of slotted in, done a job. And then they've kind of went off. They've never had the situation where they have an expectation to be the second, third, or even the best team in the country. And when a manager isn't doing that, the club itself is going to have to sit down and figure out what to do. The club's never really been in that position yet until now. So, I mean, because, I mean, if we were to kind of swap maybe Jesse Marsh's situation with Marco Rosa at Dortmund, if Rosa had had the start that Marsh has had, he would be under immense pressure. And Julian Nagelsmann would be as well. But because it's Leipzig, I do wonder if he's just going to be afforded a little more patience. But I guess we'll find out in the next, these next few games. It's an interesting one because like, he is a Red Bull product, isn't he? And they made kind of a big deal out of the fact that he is, that he has come from New York to Leipzig as an assistant, to Salzburg, where he, he was successful. Um, although he had, um, you know, interestingly going there and talking to people, he did, it wasn't all clear sailing. For example, he had some really big issues with Karim Adeyemi, um, which I didn't know until I spoke to some people there and um, they basically told me, which, by the way, probably rules out a move from of Karim Adeyemi to Leipzig <laughs> in case people wonder about that. Um, I do think that Brandon Aronson is going to Leipzig sooner rather than later because I do think he's maybe the missing piece but I I do think that Leipzig almost put this expectation on them that this is a homegrown coach we made this guy, he's American and we need to be successful with him and I do think the pressure of having to change all these things I think they come mostly actually from Marsh because having spoken to him, having interviewed him I do think he, he puts this he he has a clear idea of how to play football and he is american he's very american i mean this in a very good way but that you know how they don't have necessarily the patience nagelsmann has the patience to go to a bayern side and also the luxury that in david alaba and jerome Boateng, certain players are gone so he was able to put in neon so he was able to put in stanisic who have worked out quite well for him and you know move Sane to the left and play together with Davies. Like those things came almost naturally, right? Like the transition that he's undergoing is almost a natural transition, whereas Leipzig's departures were forced. I mean, in the same like in the same way that Bayern have to replace Boateng and Alaba, Leipzig have to replace Ubermecano and Konate. And the players are there, but it's almost like he 
he hasn't quite grasped it the same way because it wasn't a natural transition. It's a more of a of a, an abrupt transition. And for because Amash is not making it better because like he could have just taken Nagelsmann's formation and slotted those players in because they were very much scouted with Nagelsmann in mind, weren't they? And like we can say, okay, Andre Silva is a new player. Like they haven't really haven't had someone like that, but they scouted Sirlot to play the role that Silva is supposed to play now. So the system was designed to have a player like that, right? It's just they didn't have one. So they went out and spent a lot of money on one. And so it's like, I think maybe, and you hear it internally from Leipzig, a lot of people are asking to maybe go back to the Nagelsmann football because players are confused. So it's an interesting one. I think um, maybe to wrap up the Hulmash topic, uh, I think the next few games are big. I think he has to win all of the games that you mentioned. He has to. Because otherwise, there's going to be an enormous amount of pressure. Because, yes, Leipzig are not under the same pressure than some of the other traditional teams. But they, I think they're very much used to Champions League football, aren't they? And it's very much a part of them growing a brand. And um, we have they have never been in a situation where they had to fire a coach in the Bundesliga. But I wonder... I mean, it could happen. And I do think he he... To go back to something that he said in the beginning of the season where he laughed kind of about Druck. Well, here it is, Jesse. That's Druck. That's being in the Bundesliga and being a Bundesliga head coach. And I mean, like, you're laughing, right? But it's true. Like, look at look at the situation in Dortmund to maybe transition to our next topic. Um, I watched the Dortmund game in full length after I came back from Salzburg last night. Um, I watched the Zone broadcast in Germany, which is excellent by the way but one of the first things when the when the game started at the start of the match Watzke sits down Sork sits down all in the main stand right and mm. then Terzic Terzic sits right, right next to Watzke the former Dortmund bench boss is <laughs> is now Marco Rose's boss now that's truck that's pressure because the guy there's a guy already sitting on the stands ready to replace you if you don't work out that's the Bundesliga, right? Like, mm. And I think almost Dortmund created the situation on purpose. I actually do think they created this on purpose because they're like, okay, here, here, Marco, here's the keys to the roles, right? You're allowed to drive it, but you mess up. You put a scratch anywhere on that car. There's a guy up there who already knows how to drive the car and he's willing to do it at a heartbeat and we know he can do it. And that's interesting. I, I I find that dynamic interesting, and I, I I think it's it's kind of working out for them now, isn't it? Because they were amazing in that game, and um, they are carried by Haaland. And as you rightfully pointed out, uh, Meunier, who's, who's looking like a pretty good signing now, um, I do think that we kind of talked about Leipzig maybe challenging for the title as well. And I mean, Wolfsburg are still there. Um, to we can't forget about them, but um, Dortmund looked like the team pretty much the only team now that can beat Bayern to that title. What do you think? You know, I, I feel like Wolfsburg fans probably tune into this podcast every week thinking, when are we going to get our moment in the sun? You know, the Mark, Vono, Mark Van Bobble army continues to march on undefeated, but no, I'm afraid we're going to go back to Dortmund again. And I, look, I said, from I'm, I'm going to kind of blow my own trumpet here, I said Dortmund will be the champions this season at the start of the when we did a preview, I think. I think we did. Did I say it on the podcast? Maybe I said it on Twitter. But I think you I did. Kind of said, you did. I think, I think I said Dormant. And mm. I've kind of said in the past, and you kind of tweeted this d- during the game, actually. Uh, I'm not tweeted. You texted during the game. You said, 
you know, Erling Haaland is going to drag them to that title. And that's how yeah. it feels every single week. And I thought, I actually thought this game was probably a perfect, a perfect microcosm of Dortmund as a whole because you have this team that are just incredible at scoring goals. And it's not just Haaland, it's Gallero's incredible volley, which we all know he's capable of doing from time to time. Or it's a Marco Royce turn and shot, or it's a Jude Bellingham run into the box. Mm. This team can just hurt you a hundred different ways. It's not just Haaland. It's, there's so much more to it than that. Um, but they're also capable of just shipping two goals in the space of like 30 minutes or 20 minutes and, you know, causing a bit of a nervous, uh, a nervous end to the game. And, you know, I think I actually had a quick look at the stats this morning uh, after the, the match day and their XG uh, has shot up by about 25%, I think. I haven't got a number of two hands specifically. Their XG, um, so the goals that they, they would look to score or the chances, I guess you can call it, uh, has gone up by 29%. For the XG, they're conceding per game, so their opponents has gone up by 5%. Um, and interestingly, they're conceding, I find this fascinating, the coincidence, they're conceding 0.61 more goals per game, but they're also scoring 0.61 more goals per game. So, you know, they've just kind of got this kind of rhythm in place where they just said, well, you know, we're just going to score more goals than you. Um, and I think that's kind of like a refreshing approach to take to be honest with you I don't think it would work for most teams but when you have someone like Haaland up front who can head the ball in who can out sprint any defender or as we saw on Sunday just kind of do this bizarre looping uh, chip over the goalkeeper yeah. the guy's capable of everything so you know it's, a, it's it is very much like Lewandowski there's just no real way you can defend against them because if you sit with four sets of defenders in the box you'll still find that space and yeah, and I think I think Dortmund look good for it. Yeah, I I actually thought that fourth goal by Dortmund, I thought that was that that encapsulates everything you just said, because Union just thought they were back into the game, right? And Dortmund actually stayed pretty calm. And I the 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 the, the passes before the game. It was really interesting. It was pass, pass, short pass, short pass, short pass. And then Hummels kind of almost stood with the ball. And looked, and he looked up, and then he placed that great ball. Like the the Haaland goal, goal was great, but but that ball, it was perfect, wasn't it? And it dips on once, and then Haaland just puts it in with this fantastic acrobatic Slatanesque um, volley. But it was almost like Dortmund, Hummels, and Haaland at that moment realized. Okay, fine. Onyona back in the game. We need to open the gap to two goals again. And then they just did it. They did it. It was like, click. It almost snapped. And that killed Onyon, didn't it? And I just thought, okay, yeah, they concede a lot of goals. But it's almost like they don't, they're not really worried about it. It was the same against Besiktas midweek where they conceded one late. But you didn't really get the sense that that, that would be enough. And... It is worrying when you concede that many goals, but if you have players like Mats Hummels and Haaland that can just on and just switch back on and you know put a game to bed, is it really that worrying? I don't know. No, I I think the only kind of concern I have for Dortmund at this point in the season is that Super Cup tie against Bayern, yeah. and I know it's a Super Cup game, which isn't entirely serious, and I know there are players missing, but I do think to win. It's Bundesliga title. Dortmund have to have an edge over Bayern in one sense or another. 
it, it doesn't really have to be the very literal exchange of points. It doesn't have to be that Dortmund win the title by the three points that they beat Dort and beat Bayern with on any given match day, but it has to be some sort of there has to be a psychological switch so that Bayern really fear playing Dortmund because I think that was the main thing going all the way back to Klopp and maybe it took an extent before he got chucked out but Bayern feared Dortmund they were scared of what they could do and I think they do to the extent obviously fear Haaland and you know you can maybe analyse that game and say Dortmund had their chances they could have maybe scored goals but this kind of whole cavalier we'll score more than your approach works really well when you're playing Union or Cologne or Besiktas but if they're coming up against a team like Bayern Munich who are beginning to really switch on defensively, then you might find that, you know, Haaland misses his two chances and then <laughs> that Dortmund still concede those two goals. So I think they still have a bit to prove in that regard. Um, and I'm not even sure we're going to see that be tested really until maybe when they come up against Leipzig, which won't be till November, I think. And they don't play they don't play Bayern again or Wolfsburg even actually. And they play both of them one after the other until uh early, early December. And you know, with all due respect to Ajax and Sporting, um I don't think they have a very difficult Champions League group either. Not to say that they can't drop points in those games, but neither of those teams are like one of these super clubs that Dortmund have to prove they can match on their days. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of run below over the next couple of months because I think they've actually got a decent run. Uh, having said that, they could now go on and lose to Gladbach this weekend. But um, I think they've got a decent run. But I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited by them. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about them, especially with Haaland and that team. But they still have to go out there and prove that they can do what, what no Dortmund team have really done since Klopp was in charge, which is really get Bayern scared. Of yeah, have a good run of games. Um, as you said, next weekend against Gladbach, Bayern are in third, where the game that I'm going to on Friday, and yeah. Maybe Wolfsburg will put in a challenge in too. And maybe next week we're actually going to talk about them, Stefan. But unfortunately, we're out of time. So it has to be next week. Um, yeah. What I mean, at this stage, what do you want to promote? Is there anything you want to point people to before we, we call it a day? Uh, I would just say uh, I do put together a, a newsletter on the Bundesliga every week. It comes out every Wednesday. I try to bring it out every Wednesday morning, but it's usually around midday uh, UK time. Uh, so it's completely free and you can sign up to it. There's a wee button on my Twitter account, so you can just find it on there. Uh, and yeah, if you like it, give it a, re give it a retweet on Twitter or give it a sign up. It's completely free. Uh, and it's just kind of stats. Look at one, usually one interesting topic in the booze each week. I might even do Wolfsburg this weekend or this week. Who knows? Awesome stuff. Well, yeah. And you can find me as always on Twitter at Manuel of um, That's it from this week until next week. Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.